What's up? It's Andy Grammer with Jag. Hi, this is Carly Rae Jepsen, and you're listening to Jag. Hi, everybody. It's Joe Jonas hanging with Jag. This is Heather Knox with the hottest Jag I've ever seen. Ryan Seacrest with Jag. It's B.O.B. checking in with my homie Jag. So much swag with my homie Jag. It's the Jag Show podcast. Welcome into the Jag Show. Every podcaster wants to know how to get downloads. How do I get more people listening to my show? Well, there's no magic pill, no best practice you read on a white paper. My guest today has used a number of different tactics over several years to grow her podcast, and she's just passed 400,000 total downloads. She's a registered dietitian who calls herself the guilt-free RD. Full disclosure, she's been a longtime client of mine, but has also become a friend. Welcome to the JAG Show, Melissa Joy Dobbins. Thank you so much. (laughs) I love your intro. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. So I want to talk to you today because you have done so many different things over the years to grow the show. And we had an episode a couple weeks ago where we talked about uh, with Tim O'Brien about how social media alone will not do it. And you're kind of the epitome of this because you've done so many different things with regard to your show. So take me back to when you first heard about podcasting and first got the idea to start doing it. So my show turned five years old in April And I had actually started another show about a year prior to that that lasted only about six months. I had a co-host and she got busy doing other things Mm -hmm. and bailed. And I was just like, I'm not done with this. Like, I want to I want to really do this. And I had wanted to interview guests and we hadn't gotten to the point in our show to do that. But how that show originated, this colleague and I were hoping to do a YouTube channel because this is, you know, six years ago, YouTube was the big thing. I mean, it still is. And the more we talked about our concept, we did not ever come up with a really good visual. Now, my background in the media as a dietitian, I have a ton of traditional media experience, mostly live TV interviews, Mm -hmm. but also radio, love traditional radio. So I had always struggled with the whole visual concept with food because I'm not real culinary. I don't do recipe demos. (laughs) I mean, I you know, I say, you know, I'm not a chef, but I play one on TV. I mean, I would have to do that to make the TV segments, you know, real visual. And it was by far my least favorite part of the whole experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're trying to come up with this YouTube concept, and we just could not come up with a visual. And I remember I was just kind of chatting about this with my brother, who is a baseball enthusiast, and apparently was like really into podcasts, you know, listening to all these shows. And he's like, well, why don't you just do a podcast? And I'm like, what is that? And literally, it took me about a week to wrap my brain around what it was. And I was like, why didn't you just call it like radio on demand? Like, I, I don't understand why it has to be this. Like- That's how I always explain it to people. It's a radio show on demand when you want it. Yeah. Right. So I thought, huh, this could be interesting. I don't have to worry about a visual. And I love radio. You know, this could be really cool. So that's how it ended up being a podcast to begin with. It's funny, when I was in radio and I sometimes have people ask me, you know, why do you do radio instead of TV? I'd always make the joke. It's a lot easier to sound good than it is to look good, especially for me. But (laughs) we've talked about this on the show before. There's this intimacy to audio, whether it's your favorite morning show host you grew up listening to or whether it's the ability to have companionship in the car on the way to work when we all used to have commutes and drive to work. Mm -hmm. Or even, you know, while you're out walking the dog or making breakfast. It's a physiological thing because... When you have visual in front of you, your brain doesn't have to do anything. The picture is right there. But with audio, you kind of have to paint what's going on in your mind's eye and your brain gets more engaged. Absolutely. So 
you get the idea. You start the podcast five years ago in April, mm-hmm. and you're new to it. And one of the things I love about working with you is that we're always emailing back and forth about what about this idea? What about this idea? I heard this. Is this a good idea? Because we always want ideas to grow the show. When you started the show, what tools did you employ in the beginning, and how did you leverage your existing media exposure to grow it? So it's been quite a journey over the last five years, and I have to say. And, you know, you didn't pay me to say this, but I love working with you. Thank you. One of the biggest pain points for me, and there have been times when I want to just throw in the towel, is really the tech issues and finding the right person to make it as little pain as possible. And you make it so much fun and you take away the pain. So thank you. I appreciate that. It's so true. I mean, that has been my biggest thorn in my side this whole time. But when I started, I knew that I did not want to do any of the editing. I knew that I didn't need a lot of fancy editing because my show, Interviewing People, it's real conversational. I wanted it to be real, not overly scripted, not overly produced. But I still knew I did not want to learn that technology. There's other things that I want to do with my time. So I knew that I wanted to hire somebody to do that. And I think I've been through five or so people you know, until I met you. And like I said, it's just been so much better. But one of the things that I focused on in the beginning was, it's funny, in the podcast community, which is wonderful, there's certain, I don't want to say rules, but <laughs> you know, you hear people say, well, you know, consistency is king or content is king and how you should prepare for an interview or how long the show should be and when you should release. And I'm a rule follower, to a fault. You are. (laughs) Yeah, I really am. But I started questioning some of these rules or norms pretty early on. Basically, I was like, I cannot be so uptight about this that I'm locked into this. Like, I need to have some flexibility. So I think the key for me was to just try some things out and see what worked for me. So for example, when I launched, I did the whole, you know, have four or five shows in the can and launch every week for eight weeks. And I got the new and noteworthy. And I don't even know if that means anything these days. Uh, I was pretty excited about it. Sure. On what was iTunes then is now Apple Podcasts. But I thought, okay, I can't release every week. I have other things going on. I have my own business. This, you know, is just sort of something I'm trying on. I can't commit to a weekly show. And so I committed to every other week. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, as you know, John, I've released at least two shows a month for five years. I have not, you know, done a season, taken a break, you know, gone maybe the most I went like three weeks in between. I don't even think I have. I think the most I went was two weeks in between, Mm -hmm. which is surprising to me. But to me, that's consistent. My show is a lot longer than what people were saying. Hey, you know, it should be 20 to 30 minutes because that's the average commute. Well, I live in Chicago, our commutes are a little bit longer. So (laughs) I just was like, this just isn't resonating with me. For me, my show is as long as it takes to talk to the person and learn a little bit about their background, dive into whatever the topic is that we have decided to talk about. And it usually ends up being about 45 minutes or so. And so there were just things that I thought, some things matter more than others. And I'm just going to focus on this one thing for now and see where that goes. And so I just kind of paved my way with what seemed to work for me. Ultimately, what is going to prevent me from pod fading? You know, Mm -hmm. what is going to keep me doing the show? And I thought if I have to take my 45 minute interview and whittle it down to a 20 minute 
more produced show, that's more time and effort for me. And it was just always a delicate balance between the time and effort and pain involved and the enjoyment factor. That was really important to me. I think when you mentioned pod fading a second ago, I think a lot of folks, they get caught up on whatever their pain point is. For you, it was the editing and the technical side of it, and they walk away. To use a sort of an analogy here, whenever I sit down with the guests and they say, okay, is my microphone okay? Do I need to move my microphone? I say, the first thing is that you need to be comfortable. Yes. And then we'll worry about everything else. Because if you're not comfortable, you're sitting in an awkward position. This this show's really not going to sound all that good. Totally. So kind of the same idea where... You took the consistency model and you said, okay, maybe not every Wednesday at noon it comes out, but I'm going to do two a month. And even though you weren't on that specific weekly schedule, you were consistent. And one of the things that I love about podcasting as compared to radio, okay, well, we've got a 27-minute and 30-second show, and if you're in the middle of a great thought, but we're we're at 27.15, all right, well, music's coming in. i got to cut you off. All right, thanks for coming in. Great having you, Melissa. Mm -hmm. In the podcasting world, if you've got good content – you can let it go. That is probably the first question I get from clients is, how long should my show be? Mm-hmm. And I always say, as long as it's good. Yeah. Because you don't want to stretch to hit some artificial number if you've already hit all the good content. And you don't want to cut stuff out that's good because you're trying to hit some artificial number. So I think I love what you're doing as far as the length. And yes, as I edit your shows, I can tell our audience some have been 32 minutes, some have been 68 minutes. Yeah. It's really a matter of what is good, and good content is good content, and as long as the content is good, people will still listen. Yeah, I think so. And I think my background in traditional media, I think there's just some things that are intuitive to me, whether it's, oh, this is different than traditional media, or this feels right. I think I go with my gut on a lot of things. You know, I mentioned my live TV interview experience. I mean, not only did I have to set up the whole, you know, food and props and make it all pretty, <laughs> but I had to do it in three minutes. Oh, because you're a segment on the morning news or whatever. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I had to, you know, I mean, I still prep my interviews and my content and everything now, but it's really hard to boil everything down to three minutes and have that ability to answer a question and pivot back to your key message and everything. And there were certain things that I just didn't like about live TV that I feel like, well, this is my radio show. I can do whatever I want, you know, Mm -hmm. and case in point, like I get to pick the topics. I get to pick the guests. Many of your listeners may not know if somebody's a guest on a TV show, it's not that the TV station woke up that morning and said, oh, hey, I'm curious about grilling outdoors this weekend. Let's call up (laughs) Melissa, the dietitian, and have her come on. No, that topic was pitched to the station weeks, if not over a month in advance. And there's just a lot of things that are different. And so I feel like by me going, what I like to say, the other side of the mic, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not the guest, I'm the host. That was a huge learning curve for me. But I treat my guests like I would like to have been treated as a guest. Yes. And so I give them the spotlight and the stage to really, like I say, kind of geek out on whatever it is they geek out on. And that's the fun in it for me. And as an editor, from my perspective, when I listen to a show that I'm editing, it's a lot easier to subtract than it is to add. Mm -hmm. So just let them go as long as they want to go. And yeah, okay, if something went too long and we decided you lose momentum or it's not relevant to the rest of the show, we can always cut it. But if it's not there, you can't add it in. Right. It's funny you say that because 
You've seen my guest intake form, which we can talk about if you want, Mm -hmm. uh, because I feel like that's a very controversial topic when I see this come up in podcast Facebook groups, and I'm really confused by that, but I can explain. (laughs) On my podcast guest form, it does say, you know, try to keep your answers short, like two minutes. And I'm going to take that out because I've had a few people bring it up recently. And I think, oh, gosh, you know, that's what I took from my previous, you know, TV and radio interview days. But I've had several guests who go on, as you know, but I want them to. Yeah. If I'm getting into a real scientific topic, which is, you know, I do, or I'm talking with an expert on a topic that, you know, a lot of people may not be familiar with, they need to kind of do a bit of a lecture there. And I want them to do that. I don't want them to stop and have me have to say, well, tell me more. I I just want them to kind of do their thing. Yeah. And I think that goes back to our point about being comfortable. If someone takes that sheet too seriously and they're trying to get an answer and they're looking at the clock and they're saying, okay, well, most of too much. And they're thinking about the clock as opposed to their answer. It's going to hurt the quality of what they're saying and they're not going to be comfortable. And you always want that guest to be comfortable. Absolutely. So important. Since you mentioned it, Melissa, what else is on your guest intake form in terms of your prep for the show? Okay, so the controversy appears to be (laughs) on these Facebook groups that, oh, as the host, you need to do your own research and you need to be a journalist and there should be no questions or anything between you and the guest ahead of time. And I just think that's utter insanity, okay? (laughs) Like, I'm not saying, oh, here are the questions I'm going to ask you or give me all the questions you want me to ask It's really more of a fact-finding mission. And I'll give you a case in point. I had Dr. Michael Roizen on my show several years ago. And if the name is not familiar, he was Dr. Oz's partner in some of the books that they wrote. Mm -hmm. And I was working with a PR firm to get the background information on him. And as I'm introducing him on the show, I said something along the lines of, and you've got seven books. And he cut me off. He's like, actually, Melissa, it's nine. And I'm like, okay, If I can't even get up-to-date information from the PR firm, you know, I could do whatever on Google, but you're only going to get the best and most appropriate and accurate information from the horse's mouth. Wow. Yeah. So I swear by this method. I ask the guest, well, first I give them, here's what to expect. And I Mm -hmm. could not agree more with your goal of having the guest feel comfortable. By the way, you're comfortable right now, right? I am. Okay, good. But it's interesting. I'm standing up, and that's how I do my podcast now. But it didn't dawn on me until about a year ago to do that, which is ironic because I do media training and speaker training. And I always tell people if you're doing a radio interview to stand up, I tell people if you're doing a webinar to stand up. And I just never thought about it. And it's made a huge difference in my comfort level. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So it's so important for the guests to feel comfortable because I tell them, I just want you to be in your zone. Mm -hmm. A lot of my guests are wonderful speakers. They may or may not have quote unquote media experience, but I just tell them, hey, pretend like you're doing your speaking thing. Do what makes you feel comfortable. You know, I do tell them, you know, try not to rustle papers or hit the table when you're talking or or things like that. Really hard to edit out when they do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm always thinking of you, John. I'm like, I appreciate I'm making it hard for my editor. I've seen that with myself, and I convey that in my trainings. Hey, using your hands when you talk actually helps your brain think and things like that. So that's the first part of the guest intake form is letting them know what they need to know from a tech standpoint and a preparation standpoint. 
like microphone, earbuds, things like that. And also, you know, this is conversational. Don't worry. It's edited. It's really an opportunity for us to just have a conversation. And it's funny because I've had people who've done a lot of media interviews say to me after the interview, wow, that was fun. You really meant that. You're my favorite person (laughs) to interview because I've done my homework. I am totally focused on what they're passionate about and what their area of expertise is. And I'm not off on tangents asking stupid questions, hopefully. And yeah, it's just, it's a fun ride for them. The second part of the guest intake form is for them to send me information. Like, how do you want to be introduced? Mm -hmm. Can you provide an additional bio that I can use in my show notes? Show notes are, I'm sorry, they're a pain in the rear. And I try to make them as easy as possible. And if I get this information from people ahead of time, I can just, you know, plop it in there. Of course, I edit, you know, Mm -hmm. but also I just kind of ask them, what is it that you are most passionate about that you want to talk about on the show? Now, Mm -hmm. I have probably nine times out of 10, even more than that, I've approached the person to come onto my show. Yeah. So we've already connected on, hey, you know, I saw you speak at this international conference. This was really interesting. I'd love to have you come on my show and talk about that. But there might be something else that they're working on or that they're really interested in that could be an interesting conversation as well. So I just, they're the ones who knows, you know, what is going to be most interesting to them to talk about. And if they're interested in it, I get interested in it. And Mm -hmm. then my audience gets interested in it. It's the old rule of networking. Anybody's favorite topic is themselves. So if you can figure out how to get them to talk about themselves and what they're passionate about, it's easy from that point. Yeah. And I just think that the people who say that's not proper interview preparation, they're almost saying you should just wing it. And I just think that's the worst possible advice ever. Those might be some of the same people that say you don't need to edit your podcast and leave in every Maybe. single um, ah, uh, like, and you know, in the entire episode. It's just crazy making. And again, you know, one of my old radio mentors once said, you know, we were getting into some really esoteric discussion about something. And he goes, you know what, dude, the only thing that matters is what's coming out of the speakers. <laughs> and that always stuck with me. And that kind of applies here too. You know, it doesn't matter how the sausage is made, I'll say to the dietitian. <laughs> it doesn't matter how the sausage is made. It's what the final product sounds like. Who cares if you had them give you the information or if you got a PR firm or if you got something unreliable from Wikipedia? If you're getting it straight from the horse's mouth, it's going to be accurate and it's going to show in the final product, which in your case, it certainly does. And you've got the downloads to prove it. Well, thank you. I feel like it works for me. I feel like it makes perfect sense. And I've stopped sort of trying to explain that to people on Facebook groups. I'm like, okay, go ahead, do whatever you want to do. You may as well be debating politics on Facebook at that point. Right. Yeah. I'm like, I'm trying to help you really. This just based on my traditional media experience and how I just think things make sense. It just makes sense to me. So So I want to come back to how you started the show and how it grew. How much of your existing media following and social media following and channels came in handy as you launched the podcast and started promoting it? You know, it's kind of hard to say. I had a fairly large social media platform prior to starting the podcast. You know, not only am I in Chicago, the third largest media market, and that's where the bulk of my traditional media experience was, Mm -hmm. I had a few national networks. I was a supermarket dietitian, so I knew that network of dietitians across the US. I was a National Dairy Council dietitian and spokesperson and crisis communications expert. So I had that national network of dairy council dietitians. And then 
I was a volunteer spokesperson for our Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So then there was that national and almost international exposure that I had. So with those prior platforms, I had already built up quite, I don't want to say a following, but I guess that's what it is. I like to say a network. Yeah. Yeah. So when I launched the show, I didn't know, I didn't gear it towards dietitians. It was really geared towards consumers, but dietitians are consumers too. Mm-hmm. I just thought, well, here's the topics that I'm interested in. If a dietitian's interested and they want to listen, fine. If they're not a dietitian and they want to listen, fine. And I thought, at a minimum, if other dietitians know that this is credible science and uh, something that their patients or clients might be interested in, then they can share it on with them. So I think that my existing network really helped kind of spread the word. I do an annual survey where I ask people, are you a dietitian? another type of healthcare professional or not, you know, I don't like to say just in general public or whatever. And it varies a little bit from year to year, but I think it's kind of a 60-40 split. About 60% of my audience is healthcare professionals or dietitians or extension specialists, you know, working in the communities, helping educate people. That was another question I was going to ask you, honestly, Melissa, was, you know, in editing your show and hearing every episode, I know that you kind of sometimes have to straddle this line because one piece of your audience is dietitians and healthcare professionals, and the other piece might just be consumers who like the show and are interested. And one of the things I think you do really well is finding that line where you're explaining something that's interesting to a dietitian, and then me, who has no medical background, I've learned about everything from MSG to avocados as a consumer listening mm-hmm. to your show. Good. Well, that's my hope. And I feel like since I started my own nutrition communications business back in 2011, I've always spoken to both dietitian health professionals and the general consumer. And I kind of struggled with that at first, but then I just thought, well, I do speak to both and both are important. And I think when I launched, there's a few things that happened along the way. And I didn't know that these would be sort of outcomes. Uh, One is I had a lot of dietetic preceptors or teachers tell me that they love sharing the podcast with their students. Okay. And that's not something that I had a vision for, but it really makes sense that students would be into podcasting and then, you know, they want students to get credible information. And we can talk about how much non-credible information about nutrition there is in the podcast space, if you want. Which I kind of love when you do that, because you, you, you're great at that when you do that. You know, I'll try not to be too rude about it, but it's it's a huge problem. There's a TV host that we won't, but we'll remain nameless <laughs> yeah. here, but I know he's not one of your favorites. <laughs> right, right. But dietitians' credible voices need to be in all of these spaces and to try to have at least some of that real estate, you know, because there's a lot of it taken up by, I like to say, Yahoo's. But the other thing that has resulted is that I am now offering free continuing education credits for dietitians and dietetic technicians. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I'm really excited about because we have to have continuing education to maintain our credential. And it was one thing for me to have a free podcast with content out there for dietitians, but now they can also kind of kill two birds with one stone and, and get some free continuing education. And so I've been thinking about doing it for the past two years, but it wasn't something that was on my mind when I originally launched. And there's only a couple of nutrition-related podcasts out there that do offer free continuing education or even continuing education that people pay for. Uh, So I feel really good about that. Mm -hmm. I was listening to your episode with Tim O'Brien, and it was interesting because he was talking about how 
being on other podcasts can help get your name out there. Mm -hmm. I remember him saying that he kind of resisted that at first. And I got to tell you, I have not seen, maybe I'm still in the resistance phase, but I did a podcast swap with an extremely popular nutrition podcast show who has maybe 30,000 downloads a week. You know, she approached me. She's a lovely person. Uh, we had attended a conference together. I interviewed her for my show and she interviewed me for hers. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't even see a bump in downloads. I have thought from time to time about pitching myself to other quote unquote nutrition shows. And I encourage other dietitians to do that all the time. Mm -hmm. But for me, most of the other quote unquote nutrition shows out there are either about intuitive eating and health at every size, which just isn't my niche or focus, mm -hmm. or they're by fitness trainers and other people who really have no business talking about nutrition and would really be having content on their shows that's the opposite of what I'm sharing. So it's really not been something that I've pursued because I feel like you know, you can't be everywhere. I feel like you kind of have to pick and choose and say, okay, I'm going to put my time and energy towards this. And maybe I'll dabble and see if anything happens with that. But if I'm not seeing any traction, eh, forget about it. So you mentioned a really good point there that you want to make sure if you're going to come on another show, it's got to align with your brand and what you do in your show and not be counterintuitive or someone who's spouting health advice that doesn't have the credentials that, for example, you do. What tools have you used besides your obviously your network and your social media to grow your podcast? And also the flip side of that, how has the podcast grown your business? You know, I think for me, it's all about the podcast as a platform mm -hmm. for my brand and my voice. You know, I could blog, I could do more traditional TV and radio. But again, there was that foodie recipe aspect, uh, especially to blogging. And I felt like this was different and it, this was a better fit for my brand and my voice. And especially giving others who are credible that platform and opportunity. It's just been a, a really unique fit for me. And it's just been a really great fit for me, even more so than I could have imagined. And I just think that it helps me stand out a little bit. I would love to say that I was strategic and forward thinking about this, but <laughs> I was just being authentic. And what do I want to do? And what do I enjoy? And what feels good? And in the process, it helped me stand out a little bit. So because of my podcast and how I, I highlight other people and their content and push forward science and research and clear up confusion and myths that's given me the exposure and visibility to be invited to international conferences mm -hmm. where I get to see great speakers who I bring on the show. It's just like this nice little uh, cycle, if you will. So I feel like it's just really helped me stand apart from the rest and be a pioneer, which again, I wasn't exactly trying to do that. I was just trying to kind of get my needs met and try something that would be a good fit maybe. And it was. But like I said, it hasn't been <laughs> all cupcakes and roses the whole time. But I'm a very persistent person. And I think that consistency has paid off. I do think a lot of people, I understand, you hit those brick walls. And I had many, um, mm -hmm. you know, John, you know, there are many nights, the night before my show was supposed to release before I met you, where I would just be at my computer in tears and just saying, I can't, I can't keep doing this. But I persisted, I persisted. And I think that's consistency as well. And so people 
maybe two and a half years into my show still hadn't heard of me. Well, when you've been around for five years, more and more people are going to hear about you. And I just think that growth continues and it spreads. I love what you said about sort of closing the loop on that circle where the podcast has gotten you recognition to come to some of these international events again, you know, back in the old days when we used to travel. Right. And then also it's connected you with other people to have podcasts with. And I'll, you know, without disclosing anything confidential here, I got caught up a little bit in the, oh, I don't have enough downloads for my show. I was worrying about downloads, which is what I tell my clients not to do. Mm -hmm. But between my show and a partnership I had with a PR firm here in Detroit focusing on Detroit businesses called Michigan Motors Forward, I kept posting on social. And again, social is not the only way to do it. But as my wife slash CFO put it, I was branding myself Mm -hmm. to the point where I had a friend on Facebook that I hadn't talked to in probably eight years say, hey, I work for an ad agency and I've got a client that's interested in doing a podcast. Can I connect them with you? Well, yeah. Exactly. I wasn't doing Google ads or Facebook ads or I wasn't you know, taking out a billboard on I-75, but I was letting my network know what I'm doing and staying top of mind so that someone said, oh, hey, I know somebody that's interested in a podcast. And once in a while, I'll get a friend say, hey, I got a question about a podcast and I'm always happy to you know, have a 15 or a 30 minute phone call with somebody to talk podcasting. But- using the podcasting as a branding tool to grow my business, just as you have, really has has been paying dividends. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, you know, I feel like I almost do that even more so with regard to my speaker training and my media trainings that I do. Just by sharing out on social media that I'm doing one and taking a picture and showing a little taste of what that might be like, Then when a potential client in the future thinks, oh, you know, I could use some speaker training or I want to I want to host a media training. Oh, hey, I remember Melissa does that. Yes, it really works. (laughs) And also, Melissa, you've been able to monetize the podcast, which is another big question I get all the time, which you're not going to do out of the gate. But as you've built up your show, it's something that you've been able to pull off. Yes, I have. But I did not do it out of the gate, like you said, although different things work for different people. For me, I did not monetize the first two years, primarily because I couldn't have any more layers of anything on top of mm-hmm. what I was trying to juggle with the podcast. You know, it was really a delicate balance, like I said. But once I was two years in, I thought, okay, I'm ready to explore this a little bit, you know, dip my toe in the water, pick a couple of sponsors that, you know, maybe I've worked with them on other projects. And I think they're good to work with, or who would be understanding more on on a friendship level, like, look, I'm kind of, I'm new to this, I'm figuring this out. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Mm -hmm. So I picked a couple of sponsors to do that with, and slowly over time built up sort of my process. And what works for me is what I call, you know, just direct sponsorship. I don't like ads. When I listen to a podcast, I don't like that mid-roll ad. I don't like Skip 15 seconds, skip 15 seconds, yeah. skip 15 seconds. Yeah, yeah. I just, I don't like it. So I bend over backwards to make my audience not be put out or annoyed in any way. And you and I have talked about this as far as my pre-interview introduction announcements or post-outro announcements and just really trying to find that right balance between, okay, maybe you can stay tuned and listen to this at the end if you're interested, but I'm not going to dump 10 minutes of stuff before the interview because that's really annoying. (laughs) Yeah. So for me, I found that just like if I was giving a presentation or doing a webinar or doing a media training and working with a food company or a brand, it's the same thing. I work with them and say, look, you're sponsoring the entire episode. There's no ads or whatever. But if there's information that you want to share with regard to resources 
Or if you want to suggest a guest that might be an expert, then I would be very much interested in talking with them. And of course, I have, you know, right or refusal if I don't think this person's very interesting or whatever. But it's really worked out quite well for me. And every year, I just get a little bit more and a little bit more. And I'm very happy with how that's gone. Excellent. So again, to monetize your show, don't worry about getting sleep number bed or zip recruiter. Find someone Mm. in your network that believes in your brand and is relevant to the subject matter. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think sort of the overarching theme in our conversations we start to wrap up here, Melissa, has been just what I said at the beginning. There's no magic pill. There's no blueprint. It's an emerging, I don't say it's a new space. It's been around in some form for 15 years, but really taken off in the last three or four But there's no set blueprint. I I hate the phrase best practices. I hate that phrase because when it comes to podcasting, it's still the wild, wild west in some ways. And what works for podcaster A may not work for podcaster B. But I think some of the things you talked about today, consistency, sticking with it, branding, leveraging your existing network to grow your show, whether you're a dietitian or you own a paint store and you belong to the local chamber of commerce, just working that network can really go a long way. Yeah, and and they're really relationships, you know? Yes. Look at our friendship has grown out of this business partnership. And these are the types of people that I love to work with. People like you, people like my web team, the guests that I have on my show, they become friends. You know, it's all about people and relationships. Well, the feeling is more than mutual. Melissa Joy Dobbins, before I let you go, the podcast is called Sound Bites, where you delve into the science, the psychology, and the strategies behind good food and nutrition. How can people find you? Well, like you said, my podcast is Sound Bites, and that's two separate words. It is a play on words, of course. And I'm on any podcast app that people consume podcasts on. My website is soundbitesrd.com. Of course, they can listen there and get the show notes and all the resources. I'm on Twitter at Melissa Joyardi. Same with Instagram at Melissa Joyardi. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. We'll link it in the show notes. How's that? Perfect. Melissa Joy Dobbins, thank you so much for your time today. Always a pleasure to talk with you, uh, whether we're working on a podcast together or on a podcast together. (laughs) This has been so much fun. Thank you, Chad. Thanks for listening to the Jag Show podcast. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe in Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are published every Tuesday and Friday morning. For help with your podcast, find Jag on social media at Jag in Detroit or on the web at jagindetroit.com.